0: Hello friends, hope you're doing well today. This episode is going to be a fun, creative and hopefully meaningful exploration into chess and the significance it has for the spiritual life. While chess is a classical board game and not a classical story like other episodes on the Smith Pilgrim, I've intuitively felt that the two actually share a fair bit in common. Firstly, like the genre of myth and fairy tale, chess is literally timeless and has remained ever popular across many eras and indeed many different cultures. In this sense, the game is considered mythical among many other board games. Further, the kingdom royalty genre of chess also provides many parallels to our classical fairy tales, what with pieces like the king, the queen, and knights and all that kind of stuff. Uh, This along with clear delineation between good and evil, friend and foe makes for quite compelling drama. And more significantly, the strategy one develops in chess does actually have lots of real life applications as many TED talks and motivational speeches attest to. While I'm no chess expert to say the least, I do have a personal fondness for the game and find it like a wonderful celebration of both the right and left brain hemispheres, both the creative and the logical side. This combined with an endless combination of moves across a beautifully lacquered board makes the game quite satisfying. So chess's origins are quite ancient indeed, growing out of India during the Gupta Empire around the 6th century AD where the pieces were a representative of infantry, cavalry, elephants and chariots. This innovative new game soon spread throughout Asia and into the Islamic world where it was further developed by great minds. In Europe, the game evolved into its current form probably around the 15th century with the introduction of iconic pieces such as the Queen and the Bishop. Since then, chess has always topped the list of the most popular board games and household games and has remained a great equaliser between the different classes, played by both nobility and commoners alike, and has been used as a tool for military strategy, political negotiations or just plain old fun in the park. So with this brief introduction aside, I will now explore in this episode 4 chess principles that have immense application in our spiritual lives. The first will be on the significance of controlling the centre of the board. Second will be the significance of knowing your enemy. Third will be paying homage to the least of all the chess pieces, the humble little pawn. And finally, we will reflect on the significance of keeping the ultimate objective of chess in sight, checkmating the enemy king, and how every single move must take place in reference to this ultimate goal. Okay, let's begin. Strategy 1 Controlling the center of the board. While there are 64 squares on a chessboard, one of the most universally taught strategies for beginners is to do what you can to control the center four squares. This is especially the case in your opening moves, where more often than not, not much killing actually happens, but rather there is a kind of a jostling for strategic positions of one's pieces to control the centre four squares. Whether you open with the Queen's Gambit, the Sicilian defence or just the classic pawn to E4, the person who controls the centre of the board inevitably controls the rest of the board, and then eventually the entire game. This is sound chess strategy, but how does it parallel the spiritual life? Well, the person who controls their center controls their life, period. How often do we actually feel truly centered, aware of what's happening in the present moment, what we're feeling, and what we're actually wanting out of life? When was the last time we just stopped to appreciate the smell of flowers, felt the myriad of sensations in our bodies, or just marvelled at the fact that we're still breathing? So often we instead live life on the peripheries, being moved and swayed by activity, noise and expectations of others, the latest fad, the strongest carnal impulse at that time. Perhaps the enemy of our soul wants us to lose sight of our centre squares, and instead get us to focus on the business and activities on the surface, the rat race of multitasking and busy life. When this happens, life just becomes something that happens to us. We remain a stranger to our own selves, to what currently lies in our centre, and more importantly, the God who lives in our centre. As a step forward to regaining our centre, it's worthwhile asking, what lies at the centre of my life? In more specific terms, what do I worship? Hmm. Bishop Robert Barron is famous for saying that you can tell a lot about a person's life by simply asking them, what do you worship? What is of highest worth to you? What's that thing or value or person that you orient your life around? The invitation of the spiritual life is of course to have Christ at the centre of our lives, to allow him to be the reference point of everything we do. Those magnificent rose windows in the old cathedrals speak of this great Christocentric harmony. While each rose window is slightly different in how they arrange their patterns of colour and light, always right at the centre is an image of Christ. But what makes these rose windows so famous and so pleasing to gaze upon? The great spiritual masters tell us that each of the segments revolving around the center represent a different part of our lives. Note that in a rose window, all these pizza slices are ordered around the person of Christ pointing towards him. For what makes a life centered is when all the different parts of our lives Our work, our study, our families, our our intellects, our emotions, our sexuality, our dreams find their rightful place around Christ in reference to him. Holiness, then, is akin to centeredness, when all the different parts of our lives are brought back into alignment around Christ in the center. Conversion, then, is realigning the parts of our lives that are currently not aligned to Christ and to bring them back towards Him. And it's entirely possible that entire swathes of our lives are converted, but others have hardly been touched. (laughs) Note that this model of the spiritual life is different from saying, God needs to be the first priority in our lives, like the top of the checklist. No, rather, God is never just a top priority. Rather, He is the center of everything, the focal point, from which everything else can actually find their proper place. This is what it means to be centered on Christ. So, let's again reflect. What currently lies in the center of your life? Strategy 2, Knowing Your Enemy It is pretty clear from looking at Chess that it is a war game with two sides lined up on opposite sides of the board with complete opposite colours. As such, we should approach the game of Chess with a General's hat on rather than just going about things haphazardly and randomly. No military general rushes into battle without first knowing his own army and the army of the enemy. Same goes for the spiritual life. Whether we recognize it or not, we are all of us caught up in spiritual warfare every day and the devil on the opposite side of the board is very intelligent, cunning and shrewd much more than us. We may sincerely want to ignore him and just strategize on how to grow in virtue and holiness on our own terms. This of course is important. But the moment we lose sight of what the enemy may be trying to do, we will soon find our own efforts thwarted. And when that happens, it's GG for us, checkmated by the devil and his minions. See, one of the reasons why St Ignatius of Loyola is like a grand master of discernment in the Catholic tradition is precisely because he was once a military man himself, and he knew the importance of knowing one's enemy. How could you not? Your very king and land and family depended on knowing your enemy and being prepared to counter what he's up to. Hence so many of Ignatius' rules for discernment gets us to recognise the tactics of the bad spirit and to recognise when he's on the move. The devil is indeed cunning, but he isn't altogether creative. He knows that he needs only hit us in our weak spot over and over again and it's checkmate for us. For sometimes in chess, all it takes is one enemy piece to pierce through our defences, and we're dead. How well do we know Ignatius' rule 10? To know how the devil tries to always exploit us in our weak spot. How much of the time do we just try and grow our family, our personal life and our holiness without also paying attention to where the enemy may be trying to undermine us? Yes, be intentional and courageous towards spiritual growth, but not at the expense of losing sight of our enemy. Mm. Strategy 3 – The Valuing of the Humblest Little Pawn This section is a homage to the humble little foot soldiers of chess, the 8 pawns, These little fellows work quietly together in many versatile ways, to form an impenetrable ring of iron around our king, to form the front lines of an attack, or to accompany the more powerful pieces in strategic manoeuvres. They are often the first pieces to die too. Yet while they are small, they are invaluable, and in fact any half decent chess player would warn you not to sacrifice anyone lightly. For one pawn can, and very likely will, make the difference between victory and defeat. I speak especially of that heroic journey one little pawn can make all the way to the other side of the board, where having accomplished its seven square marathon, it is suddenly promoted to a powerful piece, perhaps even the almighty queen herself. And when this happens, the enemy normally just resigns. This little feature of the pawn is what I especially want to draw your attention to, dear listener, for there is a profound Christian principle at work here. Perhaps something like Jesus's, The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Or, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or, See that you do not despise even one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. Christianity is the religion that particularly honours the small and insignificant, the little pawns of the world. While we of course believe that God loves everyone equally, we also know that the love of God is drawn towards those who are small and humble, and indeed, the humble are the ones that are exalted, that are elevated, that are glorified. And like the pawns promotion in the chess endgame, It seems often that it is in the moments of greatest crisis and peril that the little one steps forward, the little saints who are so filled with the spirit that they are able to transform into a mighty warrior for God. It wasn't mighty kings that saved the medieval church from corruption, but the very humble Saint Francis of Assisi. It wasn't the brilliant university dons that ended the schismatic Pope's reigns in Avignon, but the uneducated maid Catherine of Siena. It wasn't the great popes that discovered the way to everyday sanctity, but rather the little flower, Saint Thérèse of Lisieux. God elevates the humble. They are his choice chess piece. He promotes his pawns. And as such, the pawns in chess can teach us to persevere, even in our littleness, because it is littleness that makes us great at the end of the race. So next time you feel small and insignificant, caught up in a losing battle at some point in your life, keep putting one foot forward at a time, keep fighting for your king, even though others may be falling all around you. For if we persevere till the end, God will transform us with his power, and when that happens, not even the gates of hell will prevail against what was once one little pawn. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com Strategy 4 Keeping the End in Sight Chess is absolutely a game about focus. Not just in terms of being vigilant to what's going on around you, but always being intentional about the whole objective of the game, to checkmate the opposing king. Every move counts. If we lose sight of our ultimate objective, we lose the game. Chess is simply that ruthless. As such, there is a certain lesson about chess that very much parallels how we live our life. How intentional are we in living? What is the ultimate purpose we are trying to attain or achieve? For us baptised, our one objective is rather clear, to become a saint. As such, if we ever feel our lives going off kilter, we can easily reorient ourselves by asking, what in my life is actually conducive to me to become a saint? And just as importantly, what in my life is not conducive to me becoming a saint? Life is a series of choices and every choice matters in terms of taking us closer to our goal or further away. Even not making a choice is a choice in itself, such as the joy and responsibility of free will, that highest gift that God has bestowed on each of us. Many a life coach reminds us that we have no idea just how productive we can be every day. If we are truly intentional about how we use our time, what decisions we make. Rather than just lamenting that there isn't enough hours in a day, we should first reflect on how much time do we actually waste doing things that are ultimately meaningless, superficial, people pleasing or not otherwise conducive to our final goal. See in chess there is no such luxury for random moves and we soon realise how wasting moves or pieces stacks up to be very costly very fast. This focus required for chess then can draw us into a deeper reflection of what really matters in our lives and what decisions will lead us to our final goal, our ultimate end. For today's Practical Pilgrim Reflection, I want to totally surprise you by inviting you to play a game of chess. If you have a chess board at home and an opponent, definitely you can get into this one ASAP, but if you don't, you can actually just log into chess.com and play games for free against random people around the world. The point of this exercise is not just to play chess, but to pay attention to how you go about playing chess, with the ultimate hope of getting a visual reflection on how you go about your own spiritual life. You may even have found some of the life principles explored today helpful to how you play the game of chess, so you can unleash them too on your helpless opponent. But if you don't know yet how to play chess, well, now's as good a time as ever to befriend this timeless game. May this spiritual episode be inspiring for you to become the next chess grandmaster. <laughs> but until then, dear friends, I do wish you well, play well, take care, and God bless.